Hi, everyone, and welcome to our podcast at the Rectory. I'm Ian. I'm Katie. And I'm Emily. We are three friends who at some point or another all lived in a tiny blue house in Cincinnati that we have affectionately named the Rectory. And together, we have filled it with... Memories. Long hours of PhD work. Parties. And a saggy three-legged couch we just can't seem to part with. I like that. Musical sting. It's so fun to have a visual for like the audio that is the podcast. Like seeing you guys all like in your faces is so different than just hearing it. Like hearing it, I assume you guys are all sitting over tea, like in a circle, like having very polite conversation. But I'm seeing it. I'm like, no, this is like a fun hodgepodge of like everyone being in different places. Yes. We wish we I'm glad we create that sense with our voices because we definitely want that to be true. We wish we were all together. Yeah, it's been true in the past, but alas, not now. Mostly over Katie's very famous French toast, which if you ever come to the rectory, you will have (laughs) to have her make it. It gets Bob in it. Hello. He's like, I don't know why my mom left me down here. (laughs) The, The illusion part of this is that Katie's upstairs in the house and I'm downstairs. Oh, dog is just I guess Bennett has chosen me (gasps) I don't know he doesn't look like he's in a hurry to move usually he goes upstairs with you but not today not today friends yeah that's shocking I've seen the way that Bennett looks at Katie like that's the way I want someone to look at me one day I know (laughs) I know Um, I'm going to start with uh an introduction of Nicole. Um, So everybody that's joining us at the rectory today, whatever day that you are joining us, I want to introduce you to our guest. This is Ms. Nicole Ba. She is about to graduate from Cincinnati's DAP school in like six weeks with her degree. And folks, (laughs) she has got a job that is lined up, which is nigh on a miracle in this economy. Um, So she is very hireable. And the rest of you that want to hire her after this interview, you are too late. You'll have to wait. So Nicole is also, I know her because she's a part of my college ministry group at my church. And I think she might have been not only our first fan of At The Rectory, but our first super fan and definitely got the entire rest of our college group at my church to tune in. So... So she is for sure at the top of our guest list, um, besides the fact that she is funny and engaging and just enjoyable in all kinds of ways. And we would like for you to know her too. So everybody, this is Nicole. Hi, thank you for that lovely introduction, Katie. I will back that I am a super fan, um, but I would like to give credit where credit is due. Katie did mention that she had a podcast. Multiple people mentioned to me that Katie had a podcast, but it did take me a couple (laughs) weeks to listen to it. But once I did listen to it, I binge listened to all of the episodes while 3D modeling something late at night because I was miserable. And uh, it really made the the experience of 3D modeling much more uh, enjoyable. (laughs) Emily probably knows. It's both a blessing and a curse to no longer have access to the student edition of like SolidWorks. It's like no more modeling, but also I can't model anything. So... Nicole, can you tell us about your 
what has been your focus in your DAP degree? Like, what is it at which you are the most like competent and the most passionate? And how is that going to translate into what you do after, after uni, as they say in the UK? Yeah. Well, I guess to explain that you need an, uh, I guess like a general explanation of industrial design for all the listeners. Um, and I would love for Emily and I to compare our general descriptions of industrial design because when you tell people you're an industrial designer, you get anything from, so you design factories to like, yeah. oh, you must be an engineer. And I do none of those things. Um, <laughs> I wish I could do those things. That would be great um, in terms of having the capability. Emily, I guess, what is your description of our major? I usually tell people we design the stuff that you use in everyday life. Like we design products. And then I'll usually list a bunch of things like electronics or medical devices or toys or shoes. What I love is watching television with Emily and then she recognizes chairs like they're celebrities. Like, oh, that's the the Arpels Van Cleef chair of 1965. <laughs> and I'm like, uh-uh. Arpels Van It's more like, oh, look at Herman Miller. Yep. <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, those are an easy, that's an easy to spot one. It makes me happy. Yeah. Nicole, what's your definition? Yeah. yeah, no, that basically is it. I say, oh, industrial design, which is basically mm -hmm. product design, which basically mm -hmm. means like everything you use every day from cars to, and then you give the examples to phones. Yeah. Whatever you can find in the room that you can name fast, that's what you name. <laughs> yes. And then people are kind of like, oh, wait, so what do you do? And then I'm like, I work in fast food. <laughs> It's my personal answer. <laughs> and then people are, yeah, it trails off after that. But what is the job that you have lined up afterwards? And did you get it from a co-op or like? Yeah. So I also want to make sure I am remembering that a lot of people that listen to this podcast probably aren't in DAP. So I feel like I have to define mm -hmm. all of the words. But essentially, it's just uh, an internship. Um, but yeah, my specialization within design is specifically like design research and strategy which is really cool and I can kind of get into the explanation. Um, and I actually, I was able to get this job through a friend. I actually didn't get it with a co-op. I guess like the thing that's like special about like DAP, which stands for like the College of Design, Art, Architecture and Planning within the University of Cincinnati um, is that it tends to like, because it has this co-op program where people are getting like five, you know, professional internships before they graduate, like it makes the program a lot more competitive. And so a lot of the people like a lot of times, like I think people get there, but like overwhelmed and stressed with DAP. But like, I think mm -hmm. a lot of the reason people stay is because they love like the people around them. Like everyone comes because they're really passionate about something or like they're just really extra. I think that's just the best way to describe DAP kids. Like they had to be very <laughs> over-involved in high school and they had to be having like the highest ACT scores. So all of them are just a little like extra. We're just, yeah. we're, we're a lot. <laughs> So I can do my whole co-op journey. Every DAP kid has their spiel of, well, these are the yeah. five jobs I did in the five years in which I moved every four months. Um. <laughs> I learned this, that, and the other thing. Like I learned how to be flexible and adaptable and yeah. <laughs> yeah, I also did not buy a single piece of furniture unless it was a plastic bin from Walmart. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> that too. 
Oh my gosh. Nicole, can I just say that I used to teach at UC and so I had tons of DAP students and there were just always kind of certain points of the year like hell week and other things like that. And I'm like, bless <laughs> you. Don't worry. Like just try not to cry all the time. Um, so I, that's my experience with DAP students is just trying to like put them together with duct tape and make sure they're okay. Because um, you guys have an incredibly, it's incredibly competitive, um, rigorous program. Um, and the co-ops and interviewing and applying for those co-ops and finding out where you got your co-op like all of that was just um, a lot of ups and downs so congratulations for almost finishing your very long journey I'm sure um, but yeah I just wanted you to know like I sort of have a window from like another perspective about what you guys do and it's amazing just from a student life perspective the thing about DAP is that the students make it what it is, but also the co-op program pulls a lot of the weight mm -hmm. because that is such a rarity in any field of education to have like yep. five opportunities that are purposefully incorporated into your curriculum. Like you do give up your summers for them, folks, um, mm -hmm. but it's so worth it because you graduate with a literal two and a half years of work experience and you know that's always the thing that people are like well you need experience to get experience and it's like <laughs> not if you have a co-op program wow yeah that's no so. joke yeah and it kind of yeah. helps like bridge that gap with like a lot of like unpaid internships some internships are unpaid depending on like what the major is or what the industry is mm -hmm. but like I think a lot of people like, yeah, like a lot of students like can't really afford to take an unpaid internship in New York. Like, where are they going to live? How are they going to eat? Like what that's going to look like. But like the co-ops that we're, we have on our plate, uh, on our uh, system, I guess, are, are supposed to be vetted. So like, they're supposed to be that like these students are out there, they're doing real work. We're getting feedback from the employer to know that like, this is how the student did, this is how the employer did. Like we're constantly trying to make sure that like those students aren't in bad situations. And like, there are times where like things aren't perfect, but yeah. Generally speaking, I think the goal of the program is because the university is known for this, they build relationships with these different like opportunities. And so we know that like they're the 17th person to go do this job. So like mm. we know that you're going to learn this, this and this. And like and it's so nice, too, because you can reach out to upperclassmen. Like I love like going and seeing who, who worked that job last and then emailing them, asking them how yeah. it was, getting their feedback and then knowing whether or not it's a good fit for me, whether or not I should apply. Yeah, that is really particular because I feel like oftentimes, like, like when I would teach my freshman students, I would feel like so often I'm teaching them how to be students, like mm -hmm. how to show up on time, how to keep a schedule, how to manage your time, like, in addition to like teaching them how to write. Um, mm -hmm. And again, and again, I was blown away by DAP students, especially like if they were sophomores or even juniors, like the level of professionalism that they acquired on their co-op they also brought into their education and they were go-getters and they were on top of things. And when they would do presentations, like it would just be flawless. Like those PowerPoints were amazing. So like we would do a couple rounds of PowerPoints for presentations and the next round, like people's PowerPoints, like everyone <laughs> had kind of like stepped up their game a little bit. And I just, that was really positive energy um, that I think DAP students bring. That's because it takes a lot to get into DAP, doesn't it? I mean, Emily, did you tell me you had like a, a portfolio that you had to have to apply? No. Accepted? No. no. So, okay, this is the one like weird part about DAP when you compare it to other design schools um, is that you do not need a portfolio of work to apply to it. 
because DAP's philosophy, at least so far, um, has been that if you're smart, you can learn the skills that you need to be a good designer. Like it's teachable. You don't need to come in already with any sort of like art skills because they start you off from like square one, which if you're a design history nerd, you know that that's a very, very like Bauhaus way of thinking, like having these like base level classes, like everyone learns how to draw and everyone learns how to sculpt things and everyone learns how to use an exacto knife. Um, I don't know, Nicole, did you apply to any other design schools or other like programs? Besides no, that, just uh, in-state schools, because I was like, oh, like that makes the most mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. um, with industrial design, I had actually wanted to be an engineer because my dad was an engineer. And so I was on that yes. train. Then I took calculus-based physics and I cried just a lot. Just every yeah. <laughs> every weekend was miserable. Um, and it was like that first time I had been in a room and I was like, everyone in this room knows something that I don't because no yes. one else here is sad <laughs> or crying or confused. And I don't know what they know, but I... <laughs> it's not here um <laughs> like even like one of the assignments we had to do for that class was like mailing a pringles trip from your house to the school and if it came intact you got an a and if it didn't <gasps> it didn't and so i overthought I, like i thought my design for weeks i built it up i did all these things and mine came cracked so i got like a b on it but then this other kid forgot about the assignment the day of he, he called his dad and was like hey dad can you get a box stick some kroger bags in it and then stick a pringles chip in it and mail it to the school buy thanks 100 and that's when I realized this is not for me. <laughs> and therefore I should find something other than engineering. And so industrial design seemed like a good fit because it's always like half between like the function of it, but then also the form and like the creative side of it. And so it's like that mix in between where you can work with the engineers who have to do the math, but then you mm -hmm. don't have to do the math, which is great. Yeah. Um, that's like a pretty general explanation of uh, yeah where that sits in that. Like between marketing and engineering, there's design. Like I think that's probably the best way to like explain that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Nicole, can you explain to us, uh, you know, if you and Emily are doing the thing where you look around the room and tell us, you know, which object that this is industrial design, what has been your focus? So um, within design, so when I was uh, a first year, I was able to be a part of this organization called Design for America, and I still am a part of it now. Mm -hmm. um, but it was started out with Northwestern, and then it has chapters at different schools around the country. I think we're up to like 40-something schools now. Um, but essentially, it's like design and the design process as applied to like um, solving problems in people. And so it's like if you teach a bunch of kids, um, I guess not kids because you have master students too, but if you teach people in college the design process and then have them go out and like tackle problems that they're passionate about and how they can try to like make change in their communities. And um, it's a really cool, I think, way to apply design to like look at it as a way to make things better for people. But I'll get to do like going out into the field and talking to like contractors and construction workers. Mm -hmm. and like, you know, like, what is your experience? Like, what could be better? Like, oh, like, this is how you do this. And then trying to take that back to the team and say, how can we make this better? Working with like the marketers and the engineers and the designers to actually make the product different for those people. Um, and I think that's a really cool approach to it because we can get into like the the nuances of like design and design research. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, like if you're going to try to make, like if design is the study of change, cause like Herbert Simon once said like design is changing from a, a current state to preferred state. So mm -hmm. if it's like the study of change, like you wanna make sure that the people who are impacted are at the center of that. So like human centered design is all about like, how can you include those people and make sure that they are a part of that process because you can't, 
change things or like when people try to like redesign education, but if you're not a teacher or you're not someone who's actively in that classroom, like how are you going to make the changes that mm -hmm. those people like will actually benefit from? Because otherwise then you're kind of coming in with like a savior complex a little bit, which is like not mm -hmm. very helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and so design always kind of gets me because it's like, it's so cool. And it's something that I think a lot of people are passionate about and something that I love to do, but then also like not a silver bullet and knowing where you stand in terms of like working with people and trying to like make change. And then also knowing where that boundary is of like, oh no, like you don't deserve, you shouldn't be in that space trying to make those changes, not without mm -hmm. those people's consent, not without those people leading the change and you just facilitating or helping them get there. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So that was a spiel, but. <laughs> A lot of what we've talked about on this pack podcast is like how to be a good ally and how to center other people's voices responsibly um, and knowing kind of what true partnership looks like. I feel like you're the perfect example because you like actually have skills that are very relevant and helpful to, to like ev everyday life. <laughs> I feel like sometimes a lot of people want to help, but they're like, oh, I don't, how, I can't actually build you a well to help you get water. I'll just tell people on social media, you need clean water. And that does something, but I feel like the, the tactileness and the physicality that you offer in your expertise, even when you were talking, I got that sense of like, just a spirit of humility of just saying like, I have willing hands and I've worked really hard to create like this, you know, skill set. And I want to use it to better your life. Like, how can you use me? What would be helpful? Asking those questions so that they feel really heard, but also really excited. Like, oh my gosh, there's this person who could maybe actually help us problem solve, you know, how to make our workplace safer or how to make our tools more effective. Like, that is a really fundamental need, I feel like, in the world. And so I'm really excited that you get to do it in any capacity um, and you get to continue that journey. So that it was just really like ringing a lot of bells for me. It's like, oh my gosh, we need, you know, not only that skill set, but that heart too. Those things need to go hand in hand. And a lot of people, you know, have the degree and have the intellect and have that, but maybe not so much that spirit of humility that would be willing to like, I'm the, probably, you know, a really smart person, but I'm gonna let you, <laughs> you know, like I need you, I need you to be the center. I need to sit down. Um, so thanks for just sharing that. I'm so glad we have you on the podcast to get to share you with so many people, but yeah. Oh, thanks. And also, yeah, like definitely, I know like, so like if you wanna get to like, like the numbers are like when it comes to like diversity in design, it's actually really interesting because the majority mm. of people that go to design school are female, but the majority of practicers of design are male. And yeah. so this seems to be a very what? common recurring theme that there's always a lot more men in industry, even though the classroom is sometimes 50, 50, if not 60 or 80, you know, 80, 20 or 60, 40. Wow. Um, and like, yeah, Emily's nodding her head. So <laughs> she knows. I but, am. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's hard sometimes because like, sometimes I think design does get like put as like, oh, like it's this silver bullet. It will solve all your problems, but it won't solve all your mm -hmm. problems if you're coming at it from an angle of like, I am trying to make a ton of money and I can do all these cool things. And like, that's where design comes from is basically just like the capitalist version of trying to get you to buy more stuff by making it prettier. Mm. So like by taking that skill set and applying to people, you have to be really careful about how you do it. Cause you can really just like, I think like take away from that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like design doesn't exist, I guess, without like money. So like, mm -hmm. that's also a kind of a, a part of it too, where it's like, 
there's there's a Victor Papanek quote, and he was like a designer, I think, in the '70s, where it was like, it's I'm gonna butcher it, but like, there's one career that is like second to worse than marketing, and that is design. Like that was his like opening to his book about sustainability so design. True. Like speaking of that diversity, can you tell us about like? some of your experiences in this field? Anytime I accomplish anything, I like do so much. I get so involved in Canvas. I do everything under the sun, but I always question whenever someone sees my name on that award or on that list, are they just gonna think, oh, it's because she's black. And people have said that to my face, like, oh, you're only there because of diversity. Like to my face recently after George Ford's death. And for them to feel like they can say that to me when they have no idea what I've done or how hard I've worked. Also always feeling like I never deserved anything that was affirmative action based because I was like, oh no, like, like I don't deserve it because like these people are judging me and they're judging me more negatively because of it. But it's like, mm. oh no, like you're supposed to take that and use that and that is your privilege. And that's like a big like life motivator for me is like, I've been given so much, so it's my job to give that back. Like when people invest in you, like that is so you can give back to them. That is not about you. That is about you making the system better for other people. So like, mm. Lift While You Climb was something that I learned from like, I don't know if it was like Turner on campus or like the AACRC, which is the American African American Cultural Resource Center. But like something about that clicked and I was like, oh, like every time you do something that lifts yourself up, like you need to lift someone while you do that climb. But yeah, like I feel like that's what affirmative action is just in writing. And like me, like feeling like I had never had my value acknowledged and being a black woman until the day we went about affirmative action only to have everyone shit on it. And then I felt bad again, ah. like, knowing that like, oh, like that's not something you should feel bad about. That's their problem, not yours. You're just gonna give everything back versus like another person whose parents were rich that did this for them wouldn't mm -hmm. do it for themselves. So you just take your position and use it to make it better. Yeah. You've um, never yet had a meritocracy. That's the dream. Yep. But if someone is trying to convince you that it used to be a meritocracy until affirmative action, they're incorrect. Someone said, well, you know, Katie, if you think about it, we've always had affirmative action in this country. It's just that it was only for white men. And I was like, <laughs> well, blow right. me down. Yeah. <laughs> Pin a tail on me and call me a donkey. You're right. Yeah. Like, that is genius. Thank you for pointing that out to me. Yeah. yeah, I need to start using that one because that one is one that has always really, like, I've always struggled with because like, yeah, like I walk into a room and people are like, oh, that's a black woman. But it's nice to know that it's shifting. Like that definitely like, I feel like is encouraging because then I no longer have to like question like everyone in this room thinks I shouldn't be here. Time to talk louder. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you know what you're doing. <laughs> but even to know, like, like, I don't walk into many rooms where I feel that even for you to say like that that's your experience like it's so humbling for me to hear that and then to reflect again on my privilege you know and I think that's something that we all have to do and we have to be responsible for um yeah also sorry, I know I've been going back and forth a lot but one thing on privilege that I thought was really interesting is that there is one person that was listening to you guys's podcast that was like I have a hard time relating because like I didn't go to college and like, I'm now sitting and hearing all these people with like PhDs and like all these degrees talk about undergrad versus grad. And like really thinking about that and being like, oh, thinking about maybe people, I don't know how many people listen to this podcast, but who don't maybe have extensive higher education background, like to know that like, obviously they still have a place in all these conversations and like, they yeah, definitely, yeah. you know, are just as valid to be in the space as someone with three PhDs, which is cool. Like, it would be great. Mm -hmm. to have, it sounds like, uh, three kids like individually but 
<laughs> yeah, and that's that's really good for us to hear too because when you you know like when you curate any space you have to like be aware of your blind spots and you have to be aware of like well who would walk into that room and be like ah oh, yes i belong here and who would walk into the room and be like Ooh, I don't know, you know, and so it's like that kind of feedback that's really helpful. Also, um, when we invite people to come on the podcast and things like that, like we want to be intentional and we have to be open to learn <laughs> and we have to be open to change. Right. Um, so thank you for sharing that too. And I hope that person listens to the podcast still. Um, yeah. but like, I totally understand. I totally understand that. Just be like, I think it kind of speaks to, because like so much of our conversation does revolve around our educations and our experiences that we've had because of our degrees and how wrapped up your identity can be in like your education level, like for whether or not that's good or bad, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, so it's incumbent upon all of us to cultivate that attitude where we're looking at ourselves and we're doing the work. Um, examining what's going on and our motivations and what are the ways that we leverage power that harm other people um, and how do we unpack that and and you can't always do it alone and you need community members to reflect that back to you um, mm -hmm. and hopefully honest and safe places but really that's been the encouragement for me is to like how am I perpetuating these things what is my role in all kinds of violence that I don't feel, you know, it's like distanced from me, right? So it's, I'm not actually doing this, but I'm a part of a culture that benefits it from, or benefits when this happens. Or um, I've been thinking a lot about iPhones and the metal that's in iPhones and who creates iPhones and where my iPhone comes from. So what systems of power? Uh, welcome to the dark, dark underworld of design, yeah. and It's terrifying. Welcome, welcome. So, yeah, and what would it mean for me not to have an iPhone if I'm not participate? If I don't want to participate in systems of exploitation. It would it mean that you're like the majority of the world, surprisingly, right. because the right. majority of people actually don't have iPhones. But right. our perception in America is that everyone has them. Right. So. So these are questions, you know, and they're hard questions and they take time. That's the other thing I wanted to say. Like, it's, yeah. it's going to take time. It takes time for all of this. It takes time for grief. It takes time for reconciliation. It takes time for conversation to move into action. Actions take time to create sustainable change. Like this all is a long process. Nate Owens was on um, a couple weeks ago and he kept talking about we're planting trees. We're planting legacy. Um, and we have to give it that like everyday watering, like watering that seed. But we also have to know that we might not see the result. Um, and I want to be part of planting really good trees and not invasive species that devour everything. <laughs> you know? Well, yep. we'll be in touch, everybody. Thank you so much for this lovely conversation today. Yeah, thank yeah. you guys. This is so much fun. Yeah, awesome. Yay. I love um, what you guys do. Thank you so much, Nicole. You're so sweet. Thank you.